What's going on, everybody? We've got an amazing episode of the Day Trading Show for you today. We got Anthony Crudelli here in the studio. Well, the virtual studio. We're talking all about overcoming setbacks, how he bounced back from some major failures, how he's dug himself back out of drawdown. We also talk about his mentors and what he's learned from the current market environment, how he's navigating the current market environment. You guys are going to find a ton of value. You're going to have to stick through. It's a longer episode, but there's a ton of value in it. So phones off, trading platforms down. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back. We've got another amazing episode today. We've got Anthony Crudelli on the show. Anthony, thank you for being here again. We are really excited to talk to you. We don't want to talk about too much of what you've spoken about on other interviews or what you religiously talk about, you know, in your show or in the regular write-ups. We really want to get into some substance with you today. So again, we appreciate you being here. James, um, do you want to kind of kick us off a little bit? I know you had some interesting questions to start the ball here with Anthony, and then we'll kind of roll in. And even as we get into this, Anthony, I took questions from social media. So we're going to get into that towards the end of the conversation too. Cool. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, yeah, obviously, you know, today is obviously Monday, the uh, 13th of June that we're filming this right now and markets have just been tanking off, um, Quite, quite a lot today. I know Bitcoin was down over 10%. The indices were down you know, pretty much over 2% over the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the, the Dow Jones. Um, yeah, kind of just to kick off the show, how have you been handling recent market conditions and what are kind of your strategies that you look for in the, this, uh, the, the volatility that we're seeing right now? Well, I actually tweeted about this, I think just the last week, I just finally got out of a drawdown. I had just a handful of bad decision days, not even only a few uh, bad uh, discipline, undisciplined days that caused me to be in a drawdown for five weeks. And um, yeah, I finally just got out of that drawdown. I'm actually not entirely out of it because I lost actually uh, <laughs> on Friday and today, but I kept it small enough to where it's not that big of a deal. But ultimately, you know, it's a tough environment. It's a tough environment because the bear markets I've traded in the in the past, and I had actually my best years in bear markets, they were just so much quicker to the downside. They were not like this slow drip, almost like a reversible market where we're just grinding lower. And I feel that it's just been very difficult um, for me to make money on the short side. Uh, and I know that's probably crazy for some to say, we'll say it's Anthony, it's going down all the time, but as, as a shorter term trader, uh, it just has not been really that easy. And so how I've really just been adjusting to it is ultimately just picking one side of the market off the open. Uh, I talk a, a lot about really how I just, I like to use the anchored VWAP in the three minute opening range. And I just see how that looks. And then relative to that, if I have something on the bigger picture that tells me uh, to be long or short, if it's coinciding with it, then I'll potentially trade aggressively to that direction. And if it doesn't, then I'll either stay away or I'll trade really small. And I think just overall lately, I've been trading smaller because every time I seem to add or get big in this market for me, it just seems like it's, they're just squeezing me short or long. So, you know, I, ultimately I've just been just trading smaller and really just trying to focus on one side of the market. Because as you guys know, you guys are intraday traders too. You can get twisted and turned around. You know, I mean, you can come in on a day where we go down all day and you can lose money trying to sell the market because the rips are so high. And you can make a ton of money by being long in the day where the market just seems to go down all day. Because when you go back and look at the chart, there was good rallies to catch. So I've, I would say the number one thing is focusing on one side and committing to it unless, that, unless the theme changes, just stay with it and not over trade and get myself caught up. That's such a good answer. We use an indicator called a TDI. It has a market sentiment line. And I think that James will tell you that is something we look at first thing in the morning. What bias are we going to have today? If there's a swapping yeah. market sentiment line where bias is indecisive, we actually will kind of turn away from that and try to find where is the bias most clear? Okay, we've got a, a good market sentiment here. What do the higher time frame say? Oh, they're in the same bias. Okay, now we're starting to get multiple confirmations that we want to be short biased. And then it's like you said, waiting for your signals, whether it's a VWAP or whatever entry signal you're looking for. I think having that bias is huge. But when you come out of a drawdown after five weeks, Anthony, what I guess is the focus now back to the point of, okay, 
the mistakes that I made, we've addressed them. We're going to not repeat them. I'm sure you've probably spent many minutes and hours thinking about them. How are you not repeating those mistakes specifically that you made that caused you to get into the drawdown? Well, my mistakes were just not, so I should say this. The first thing I always look at when I go into a drawdown, is it me? Is it the market environment or is it my strategy? Because I think a lot of people don't know why they're in a drawdown. Sure. So they'll say, it's my strategy sucks. So let yeah. me find a new strategy. Yeah. Oh, this market's terrible. Yeah. Um, or they, or the, a lot of people don't look in the mirror and say, I just not trading well. Right. So for me, I, I identified that the problem was for me, okay. oversizing in moments that I should have been taking part of my positions off. Mm. So I got really aggressive with my adding and it just, just blew up in my face. You know, next thing you know, you're kind of like sitting there going, man, they just freaking run me over. And, you know, we always talk about managing risk and that's great, but I made a lot of my money by being aggressive and identifying times. I got undisciplined and I identified poor times and it blew up in my face. So then I had to go back, take my risk per day down, take my risk per tra trade down, you know, and just be able to just take, go back to trading smaller and just get control of my decision-making, you know? So now I'm back in control of my decision-making. So I know where I'm at and I know that when times are making sense to me to add, to just be a little bit more methodical about it and not just be this crazy aggressor you know, wait to see what happens. You know, Friday, I actually made a mistake and I caught myself doing it. You know, I caught one little bump on a rally and then I said, you know what? I doubled my position right away and it just turned right back against me, but I burned out of it right away. And I said, you know what, man, you're doing this. This is stupid again. You just got to take that little bit of a winner. So it's about lowering my expectations and really being smart. For me, my mistakes have been position sizing, just mm. too big and bad areas. And just, you know, like I said, being back in control of your decision-making. How does the fundamental bias play into that though? Where when, if you asked me, like when we sit down to trade right now, it's much easier to be shorting things. Were you looking to buy things in, in, in rallies because you were having more trouble to the downside, then you ended up making money in some of these buys and then adding in. And that was kind of like the situation you just described or like, and I guess another way I would ask that question is why aren't you really just looking for shorts? Is it because it's been difficult for you in the past couple of weeks why am i not well after friday's move i'm only looking at shorts right. uh you know and prior to friday i would say i didn't have the clear view that we we're going to go and take out the lows and we'll talk mostly about nasdaq here that's a market i trade a lot yeah and so i didn't really i would love to say that i knew that that was going to happen you know you had the cpi print that came out hot and you know everyone's talking about the fed going to be more aggressive with raising rates sure uh, so obviously when i looked at the yields uh, the, you know, on the two, five, 10 and 30 year, you see that they're just going up. So it, it tells me only to look at short. So yeah, that fundamental aspect comes into play where you're like, okay, this supersedes my indicator, you know, but prior to that, we had somewhat of a contained area where I felt we'd be a two-way trade. So I was trading both sides. So going back to what was I doing on the open, you know, you get a little bullish indicator and you, you know, we did have a little bit of a run and I thought we'd just probably chop around before CPI and really before FOMC, um, you know, so when you look at just this past recent environment, I look at it and said, you know, I, I can't be scared to be long or short here because once again, I didn't, I didn't have the clear view that I do now. I mean, obviously Friday and today, the market's getting buried right. and it's because of that. But once we get to this point now, I'm saying, okay, like this morning, I just took a couple of shorts and to be honest with you, I got a weak hand in the market again right now because in my stuff, we're, we're breaking out and it's like, I want to be short. And I just see them there, you know, uh, they're holding and bouncing. I'm not looking for the, I don't have really a big target down below right now. Cause when you look at it, look what's happened in ETH and Bitcoin. It's like, it's easy to look and say the NASDAQ is just going to keep tanking here. I don't know that. I mean, I think it's going to keep going down, but I just got a weak hand right now. I'm not going to lie. So when I'm short, if it's not going my way right away, I'm burning out for a small loss. I'll get back in. So I think a lot of the question you were asking me was like, how does the fundamentals fit in? Yeah. Right now we're in this fundamental, fundamentals are superseding technicals and the technicals are actually coinciding with the fundamentals now, but right. yeah. you've, it's not an easy trade when we're breaking out and you've got all this news going on and one mistake, it burns up your day. Right. So it's, you know, I mean, kind of a long way around that question. But. No, no, no. That is a good answer. Have you modified the way that you're, because you've talked about how you've adapted in the sense of like, 
position sizing, selectivity. You've touched on that a little bit. Have you changed your profit taking on your winners at all? Are you taking profit sooner, taking profit later? Well, yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that I do is when we're in trend and like we are right now, let's say you want to be short and it's going down. I really shrink up my trail stop scenarios because sure. I look at it like this, either they're going to keep going or I don't want to be caught covering on the high tick, sure. you know, because yeah. that's what's going to happen because I'm yep. going to try and hold them. So what I do is I'm very quick on trailing. Um, my entries are, are small, but still contract size enough for me to do scaling. So what I try to do is I just try to rotate out of a position. You know, we'll just use a 10 lot, for example, because it's sure. just an easy number. The minute I get into, let's just say 10, I start to rotate out of them pretty quick and I try to leave a trailer, yeah. but I get really tight with that trailer. And I said, I have a weak hand. So what I'll do is I'll use something as simple as, you know, a five period moving average on a three minute chart, which may seem like, wow, that's just really super short term. But I'd like these moves can become really one dimensional for sure. But the same with the blips back up. And I look exactly. at it and like, even though today we opened up, got below my VWAP, and I looked at all that stuff and said, okay, it still was a not just not a really clean trade. So I'm trying to keep it tight. And so when one does run, I'm just going to hold it. See, people always talk about, well, how do you hold winners longer? Well, for me, the only way I've ever been able to hold a winner longer is never in a full position. That's just, unless I just bought them or sold them, they just ripped through and it's like, okay, great. Most of the time I hold them is because I got small, quick, I took some money. And now I just go, I'm not getting out. But that's they, it. That's that is it. so that is so well said. I, that's me today in Euro AUD. I took 75% of my position off at 1R, risk 25, I'm up 25, 27, bag about 75% of the position, lock the stop. The rest is risk-free. I have had those trades, as you have, I'm sure, where you take the position. It just, especially on Bitcoin or an index like NASDAQ, yeah. it'll just move on you sometimes. And it's fantastic. But majority of those big winners where you've seen you or me in a trade, that's so funny that you do it the same way, but it makes sense. It should show everybody listening, like good risk management. Yes, it can be modified, but it leaves the same kind of clues. Like you're taking risk off the table. You're taking gains off the table. That's part of good risk management, you know? Yeah. Looking at the 10 lot, I might make a little bit on six or seven and yep. make a lot on two or three or four. Right, right. And yeah. for me, the reason why I've always traded like that is because I could never perfectly predict where the move will start and where the move will stop. Yep. I, I embrace that. Yep. So the only way for me to do it is to find an area I like, get as many on as I'm comfortable with within my risk parameter, rotate out of some of them, and just try and hold something. Right. Because you and, have your bias, just, right? You have your, fun, your direction and then you're waiting yeah. for the market to give you the timing. Trading is direction and timing. And if you try to yes. predict timing all the time, you're going to get mm -hmm. smoked. You've got to just get in the direction and have good stop losses in place. Do you use a stop loss in all your trades? Um, I mean, I always have a stop loss, uh, whether I always put it in. I'm sometimes I'm I'll manually click out, like especially if something's rotating my way, yeah. like I won't yeah. put something just above a moving average. Sure. just to get picked out. Sure. I'll just sure. watch how it reacts to it. You know, I'll use different tools. Majority of the time right now, I am going to, when we are trending in any sort of direction, I think just to provide some clarity is what I'm looking at. Yeah. How I'm using a trailer is if the, I use a three minute chart and I have a three minute Bollinger Band. If the market's going in a direction and the mouth of that Bollinger Band is open, like a mouth, I just stay with it as much as I can. And I'll use, um, like I said, if they're really starting to burn to one direction, I might go to a five period moving average, simple. Sure. But a majority of the time I'm using a 10 period moving average on a three minute chart. And like I said, mm -hmm. I'll adjust it based upon the volatility of the day and just what I'm looking at. And sometimes I just feel like if it's really starting to come off really hard and I'm, I've caught a big winner, I might shrink that moving average down to say, look at, you don't want to give back this much now, you exactly. know, but initially I might be at a 10 uh, period moving average. And as it's just starting to go down, I just watch to see how that's trading. And once that mouth of that Bollinger Band closes on that three minute, I'll really watch that that, that moving average. And I'll watch those Bollinger Bands and say, look it, I feel like we're consolidating here. Or I'll look other places and say, what's the S&P doing? What's the Russell doing? Right. Are the treasuries still making new highs? Right. And maybe I'll say, you know what, I'm going to give this here. Now, this is talking about trailing stops. My initial hard stop, if I it's gotten my way, you know, I don't need to work it all the way up there. Like some people feel the need to, to do that or they'll put them to break even. I personally don't do that. 
Um, because when I want to be out, I get out. I don't, I don't have that hesitation in, in my body. I'm just gone. I think you that's know, like so my stop is just like away. Yeah. If my stop is way up there, I, I don't need to manually put that in there. Right. I'm watching the action close enough to just, right. I mean, yeah. I'm going to get out. Sure. Absolutely. Anthony, James, so I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say, Anthony, you sound like you trade very, very similar to me, actually. So I'm, I'm also pretty aggressive. So I'm from one of your tweets about, uh, I think it was end of December about choosing one side of the market. So I'm literally now only sculpting one of the systems that Austin taught me in his course when I joined three years ago. So I'm choosing one side of the market and sculpting in the direction on the one minute chart using exponential moving averages. So this was, uh, it's great to see that you rotating out your positions because I, I feel that that's especially like what I do. Um, what is your, um, your take on when you're getting out of your positions early and sometimes you're leaving profits on the table because obviously you got a trade-off, you're bagging profits on the short term, but you might miss the, 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 the longer term move. What is your take on leaving profits on the table and how do you go about that mindset of, of that? You know, at this point, of my career, I don't really care about that. You know, I mean, I know that sounds like, well, he doesn't care about making more money. That, that's really not the case. The case is like, I look at it and say, it, I, I can't even talk about how many moves I've missed. So when you've missed so many, it's like, at some point you're like, I, I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I would love to tell you the other day when I was short on Friday, where I lost money on a couple of those trades that I still had that short, but my mind, and I think that this is something that, you know, I mean, I know, uh, James, you're an athlete, you know, yep. and I, yep. I know Austin, you're very athletic as well. And, and I know that you guys both have athletic minds. Michael Jordan says that your next, your best shot is going to be your next shot. I forget exactly how it's worded. Mm -hmm. You look at the Tom Brady's of the world. You look at the Tiger Woods. Why is Tiger Woods so able to focus on the putt that's in front of him? It's because it's the only thing that matters to him. He's missed a million putts. I've seen him miss three footers. You're like, how could he do that? Just the, that could have cost him the tournament. But if he focuses on that, then he can never make the next three foot putt. So mm -hmm. in my mind, I can't allow myself to dwell on any sort of missed opportunity because there's always missed opportunity in this market. And if I catch something that's good, I've made money on trades that I thought were complete garbage where I'm like, I'm going to buy these here. I kind of like them, but if they don't work, I'm not going to keep them. And just boom, they just go my way. That's a gift. You get rewarded in a different way by being disciplined, right? Yeah. If all of a sudden I'm chasing a profit, all I'm going to do is create a bad habit and it's going to hurt me down the road. Yep. So I don't, I, I really mentally block it out. It's a great answer. It was very well yeah. said. I think that a lot of people get to that point in their career where they go, look, I have to stop stressing out about the fact that I made, let's say two R on the trade, took most of my profit and got stopped in profit. That's a big thing that we come across Anthony and guys that like work with us and stuff is people always are asking, should I take the full profit at two R or one R or should I lock my stop and leave some and let it run? And I always default back, of course, to say we should be back testing and looking at the data of how does that perform? What is the outcome in those two different scenarios? And that can be, but when we've done some testing in some of the strategies that we've tried this with, the, the outcome is very similar. So I've always defaulted back to being like, the, like you said, the psychological side is so important. Winning trades, I think too, keeps you confident, keeps you performing better than if you're to uh, let winning trades, especially turn into losing trades. I took a quote from Peter Brandt and I use it all the time. He said, never have popcorn trades. So I'm curious to know, is risk management something that you're thinking about when you are up in the trade at one R, two R, and that's why you're going to trail the stop and always be getting out, right? That's basically what it is. You can't let a winner that's up three R, four R turn into a loser, right? I'd love to say that I never do that, but I still do do that. It's going to depend on the environment. I think this is the one thing I would- Is that a swing I, I trade never, though? Well- all my trades are intraday to swing trades. I, sure. I try, I really try to just trade around one side of the market. Okay. You know, kind of like what Bruce is talking about. He's just like, or James um, talking yeah, yeah. about rotating out of yep. um, one direction. So I'll, I'll stay with a position around a direction as much as I can. Okay. And, you know, what was the question? I just want to make sure I answered it. I was answered. saying, when, no, absolutely. When you are up three, four, five R in a trade, you said sometimes you do let those turn into losers. So, is Correct. does that still i mean of course over time it's kept you profitable but have you ever thought about not doing that because something that i've just been big on is if i'm up if i'm risking 10 and i'm up 30 
I can't lose. Like, there's no reason to lose this trade at this point. I should be mitigating risk and not letting this go red on me. I would say that it rarely happens to me, okay. but I will say to you that there are times where I've looked at situations and said, this could be a wider swing time scenario to where maybe I don't lose, but I give back all of the trade. I mean, that's I, I, is, because- that in, is that in the attempt of then getting potential more gains if that swing was to turn into what you thought it would be. So it's really based on the context of the time frame of the trade Correct. that you're taking. Yes. And I also think, it, you know, you look at it like this, it's like a perfect example would be something like, let's just say you sold Friday's close, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, but, and it just runs today in the NASI and you're looking at it and you're like, you know, hmm. you can have all the reason in the world maybe to cover here because you've got it, but maybe that's your trailer. I might say to myself, this thing could go, who knows where all mouth Bollinger bands are open. I don't know when that rally is going to come. So I might look, I might step back and say, I ask myself a question. What's going to bother me more covering this here. And it goes a thousand points more, or it comes all the way back. Now, mind you, yeah. I'm, I'm never going to say that I'm the perfect risk manager because there are times that I will take on risk that maybe doesn't seem perfectly appropriate or sound great on Twitter or Instagram, but I will do things like that because I look at it and say, I feel like I got it right. So I have the belief in myself and I look at things and I say, this is happening before. Now, mind you, I don't even look at two, three, four, five R. I don't even know how much. That, I just look at the context of where we are right now and I say, do I want to buy this here? Do I have a reason to buy this here? If I'm short, we thought about Friday's close. If I don't, then I won't. Now, I've already taken some profit or some of that risk off, but I look at the market and I say, what would you do here? What would I ask myself these questions, these psychological things, right? And that will go beyond the technicals because at this point, like I said, you, you could be breaking out to who knows where. Um, look at it. Imagine if you were short ETH at 1800. I was actually short futures just above there because I was long spot ETH. I covered my futures and I covered my spot. I could have, you know, I, I look back at it and say, if y'all would have sold into that break, would I be covering anywhere in there? And that whole way down, you look at the chart, it could go to 800 right. or lower. Right. So those are the times where you're, you're, something's happening in the context of the situation. And you say to yourself, this is worth it for me to hold it. That's and I might get us that. That's what that is for everybody listening. Yeah. Like Anthony is speaking experience, years and years of being in the market. That's where he's gained. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong here as well, Anthony, you have a very discretionary approach to oh, yeah. trading. And that's got to be all the way back to when you started trading in Chicago. It was very discretionary then versus how you can be so systematic now to the point where you can program it into an algorithm and it runs like a robot. You know what I'm saying? It can be extremely systematic. I think I sit somewhere more in the middle, but you're very discretionary. So how do you balance discretionary in or discretionary analysis, discretionary actions with technical rules, systematic approach to trading? Do you try to balance them or do you just trust the gut? I will say this, that I am, my approach is is I'm a discretionary trader, but my process is systematic. And when you do something enough, it becomes automatic. Yes. And one thing that experience allows you to do is to step back from a situation and actually look at it from further away and say, what's happening here? Because I've seen bear markets, bull markets, uh, you know, consolidating markets, you look at a situation and if sometimes you get a trade on that you didn't know would be a high or a low, because you never know till way later, and you look at it and say, this is something that's worth it for me to hold. You know, I caught a big part of the bull market in areas that I thought I bought were very not good. And they just started going my way. And I looked at it and I said, I didn't think that was any good. But now I look at it and go, that could be pretty good. And why would I cover it? And eventually you get out, you know, but have they come all the way back and you're like, well, that was just a stupid ass idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I look at it like this and I'm, I'm, I'm built like this. Traders make money in moments. Your experience gives you uh, the opportunity to seize moments. And certain times you're going to see things that it, everything is very clear to you. And to me, you have to follow that. You have to pursue that, that, that what you see. And, and fail at it if it doesn't work in order to have better experience down the road to execute a similar situation. Because it's because what happens is 
you'll come into times where you're like, oh, I should have done that. Why didn't I do that? See, I'm somebody who just lives very much in like, I ask myself the questions. What would I rather be? What would I be more pissed about? What's the environment telling me? You got to keep this trade, man. You know, I did it the other day. I was actually long Facebook calls. Okay. I was talking with my buddy and I said, I like where I bought these. They came all the way back and I bought them. They just ran on me. I said, okay. And I don't, I don't trade a ton of options and stocks, but I liked the area. I saw it was building. I had some things that made sense to me. That thing just came back with a vengeance and the calls were actually lower because um, you guys know if you tra traded options before, you're like, man, I bought these calls when, when we were at like 196, but all of a sudden we're back to like 199 and I'm losing on them. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't exactly how that happened, but it was pretty close to it. And so I was like, okay, I just got to dump them now. But I had a big run on those. But when I looked at it, I'm like, they're above all my anchored VWAPs or they're starting to rotate out. Bollinger Band was getting closed up. It looked like they made that low for me. I kept it. Hmm. Experience told me to keep that because it had massive opportunity. Did I lose money on the trade? No, I broke even pretty much on it. Right. But at that moment, I made a choice. Sure. And if I didn't make that choice, um, I would have looked back and it probably created a bad habit down the road because next time, maybe I hold it just because I feel like I should hold it versus looking at the situation and saying, you should hold it here. A hundred percent. I was just going to say that. So that stems me into my next question perfectly. What lessons are you taking from this current market condition? Because like you said, you've been through a lot of bull markets, been through a lot of bear markets. You've been through the bull rallies in the bear market. Um, what lessons do you take specifically from what we've gone through, I would say from January till now, this entire year so far? What this year has taught me that I feel um, has been different in the past is number one, bear markets aren't always um, by definition, the way that they've been in the past, meaning like basically every bear market is typically quick. Look at COVID, look at 08, look at 01, 2000. They're very fast, they're sharp. And a lot of times they're V bottoms. So everyone's trained to look for a V bottom. And therefore you get a lot of people picking bottoms because they're looking for a V bottom because the rallies have been so fierce. Yep. Not all bear markets are going to be fast to the downside, although this has been relatively fast when you look at how much percentage we're lower, but the bleed lower has taught me that it could happen in a different way. A low can happen in a different way. And even though I do know that, I, like all of you, have been trained to look for V bottoms. Look at COVID, the big FOMO of not buying that dip. Let's face it, I got... I did great on that break in COVID. And then when it started to rally, I kept getting short. Next thing you know, I'm just getting blown up and giving back half of my gains, if not more, because I didn't recognize that the, the low was already in. In this, I think that because a lot of people did that, what I did is you just keep trying to buy the dip and you just keep getting killed. So I've learned that if I'm going to be long, I'm going to be, especially um, if I'm buying an area that I just feel is like, okay. I'm going to be really small or I just have to stay away from it. And when they finally start to hold and they start to go up, don't be aggressive with an ad with a long rotate out of it. Keep a small trailer and just take your money because even if you miss that big rally, so what? Then at least, you know, a low is formed and then you could build from there. I think that's what this bear market is teaching. A lot of people is that, look, we may not end the way we've ended it in the past. And who knows how long this could go on for. So you've got to reset and you've got to say, what is really happening? And I think the biggest fear that most people have is, well, I missed most of the break. Maybe that's true. But I'd rather be late now, short in this trend, than trying to pick the bottom and be the sucker who's early on the rally, because that will cost me more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to be Peter Schiff, always calling the end of the world and calling the top oh, of it and everything. But exactly. You get like if you really ask most people, they'd be like, Yeah, Peter Schiff has been wrong way more times than he's been right. So, you don't, you know, it, it's fun. And it's almost like nowadays with social media, because you know, fear gets clicks that 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 gets propagated yeah. more. But I don't think it is the right perspective, like you're saying. It's almost like it traps you on the negative side of this trader loop that you should have been in. Whereas instead of getting tapped out on the COVID thing, you could have been doubling back in onto the long side and not trying to write. So you keep mentioning this thing that I don't know if you're familiar with Sang Lucci. He's another options guy on Twitter. He's been around for a while. He said this, and I've it stuck with me. He's like, I know when my market is hot and I slam it and I know when it's not and I back off. And you've said that in like five different ways. So you must agree with that 100%, right? Yeah. 100%. I mean, I said traders make money in moments. I mean, it's it. My best years have been bear markets. The best year of my career was 2008. I have yeah. not yet topped that year. 
Yeah. And that was just because to me, everything, you know, I was at the right age. I was at the right place and time of my life. And I was at the right time when the news hit. Capitalized properly. Exactly. Yeah. I look back at that year. I ended up losing money the next year after my best year. Hmm. And it was like, how does this even happen? And it was because, you know, I'm not going to get into all of how all of what happened, but you know, when I look at it at that moment, I took so much advantage of that year that that bought me time during times where things weren't well. Wow. And it really just always, I go back to, to that year and just several years of my career where I've really taken advantage of the market. And I say, those are the years I needed to get paid because next year is not guaranteed that I'm going to get paid at all. Right. So I look at it like this. If the market's giving, I have to be taking. Yeah. If the market's taking, I have to be giving less. And this is a year for me. It's And I had a really strong start to the year. Great start to the year. I've been giving it back and it's just been difficult. You know, mentally, it's not been the easiest thing for me. I've kind of just gotten a little bit out of rhythm, drawdowns back and forth. I'm kind of like, you know, but I'm, I, I keep going back to, I fought myself out of a drawdown. Now I'm sitting here and just like, I feel like strategically, and you know this, right, James, you know, is and what you've done. Sometimes you're just in that little zone where you're kind of yeah. like, I can pick them apart and I feel really good about taking losses on Friday and today. I knew what I did wrong but at least I'm in control of my decision-making because all of a sudden there's going to be some moments mm. where all of a sudden I'm going to see it again. And I, who knows how much I take, but right now I'm in a, I'm not really in a taking mode because I'm not trading well and the market isn't in a giving mode in my strategy. So I got to be careful. Yeah, it's like those momentum shifts in sport. You get those momentum shifts and now it's your time. Basically, if you want to analyze it in sport. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to ask Anthony. So obviously, um, uh, also now being um, on the younger side and you've gone through a lot of experience, you know, as you were saying, 2008 was your best year. Um, so uh, on Twitter, I think it was in December, um, you were speaking about Christmas and the holidays and that sort of thing. Um, and you spoke about when uh, you're 21 and you had this anxiety attack or heart attack and, um, you know, you went through that experience. Um, what, what are some of the, of the things that you, you would uh, tell your younger self and guys like my age um, that are trying to make trading their career and, and, and be there for the long, long run. First thing I want to say is, you know, Austin, what I was first very impressed about what you did and I saw you doing, you know, uh, meditation, yoga, and how you remove yourself from just trading. You, you don't, you don't just always talk about it. You, I, I see how you take those mental breaks. And I think that you are just so far away ahead of the curve Thank you. Um, than I was. Obviously, uh, at your age, I don't know how old you are, but I know I can tell you this. It took real hard experiences for me to understand what you understand. So I think that's, uh, I commend you for that. And I think that, uh, you know, with you being an athlete, um, James, I think that you already have like this kind of like, you know, this competitive spirit outside of, of trading. Um, so when you're going out doing stuff, you, you, you probably have the really good ability to focus, right? Um, yep. For me, I would say the advice I would give the younger people is, or the people that are just starting this, because they don't necessarily have to be younger, because I think that trading is one of those things where when you come into it, you're not prepared for what it does to the mind and the body. I don't think you're prepared for it. So you, you could be 60 years old coming into this and done well in your corporate life the whole time. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is like overwhelming me. So I would say for anybody that's new to trading, uh, not just the younger people, is that you have to have true separation. And it has to be, it has to be very distinct. Like what is what you're doing and what you're focusing on when you're trading, you can be, I think I call it basically hyper-focused in this moment. And when you were in those other moments, you have to learn how to remove those thoughts from your mind and be able to be focused on something else mm. to be able to refresh, to come back. Because otherwise you're always constantly carrying this, this, this burden. Um, and, and trading is so difficult because it's something to where it's like, it's hard to let go of mistakes we make and we make them every day. It's hard to let go of losses and they come hopefully not every day, but a lot. So you, in order for you to let go of that and actually, to actually move on, you have to be somewhere else focused on something else because that's where the healing comes in. And I didn't get that. I carried everything on my shoulders. I carried everything, every thought, everything I had in my mind as an early 20-year-old trader who was running out of all the money I had saved, which wasn't like it was too long of a time and too big of an amount of money, but it was a lot to me, that I just became overwhelmed by it. And I was like, this is, 
This is the only thing I could think about. This is the only thing. And, and all it did was take me further away from where I needed to be. I am more balanced as a person now, because when I sit down, that market's got 100% of my attention. When I'm with my friends or I'm playing cards or I'm playing golf or I'm with my wife, I'm 100% focused on that. And that took a lot of time for me. And you don't get there without doing what Austin, I think, does extremely well um, is, is that meditation and yoga and things. And just, I think, controlling breath would be the one thing I would say to everybody is if you do nothing, what exercise or anything else, I mean, I personally think you need to do that too. But if you can learn to control your breath and, and to lower your heartbeat in times when things aren't going great for you, I think that would be a tremendous help to you. It's great advice. I think, yes. and I appreciate the kind words, Anthony. I think part, of, and it comes from experiences that I've been through with my family and my life, where I've seen how quickly life can be taken away from you and why you do need to take care of your body and your mind. Forget trading. If trading's not for you, there's someone listening to this that isn't going to be a trader in the rest of the, for the rest of their life. Trading isn't for everybody. You should take care of your body and your body and mind no matter what. You know That's always been my feeling. And I think that it's translated really well into trading. Like for me, I have three things I do in the morning before I trade. I meditate for 10 minutes. I do 50 pushups and I drink this warm water with lemon and salt in it. It's a yoga thing. Those three things are like my non-negotiables because if I show up and I try to trade without doing those three things, just look at my data. It doesn't look good. I do stupid trades. I give back money in the afternoons. But if I just do those three things, the rest of the day seems to go super well. And it's like you said, science, there's medical benefits, real stuff is happening when you meditate and when you go for a walk and do physical activity. So I think that often people get caught up in the sauce of trading and they're thinking that the answer is in here on that candlestick or whatever it is, but it's not. I think at some point, and it can come very quickly now because there's so much education out there, you can get to the point of, hey, this is a winning strategy. I got to get right in here. So I was curious to know, Anthony, who were your mentors? Of course, back on the on the exchange, you had mentors at the at the at the pit. But like now, maybe more recently, last 10, 20 years, like who has been a mentor to you? And it's okay if it's outside of trading. I think people are just curious to know who do you look to for guidance or for inspiration. So well, at first I want to comment real quick, please, on what you said about what you do before the open. Yeah. And I think it's such an important point. Yeah. Is that you get your mind set. You do something to ease into the day. You show control. You show, um, to me, that I ease my way into that morning. Um, I, I can't think of the words I'm trying to look for here, but you, you basically get yourself in a calm state of mind by doing something that's part of a routine. Yeah. So when you go to trade, you are at that level. I think that's extremely important. And, and I think that anybody uh, who wants to just get better at trading is do something before the open that helps relax you. I read every morning before the open because it makes me focus on the words. And if I can't be focused on the words, you I'm totally be trading. Right. So it just gets that focus in play for you. And then it's like, I'm primed to try to be my best self now, you know? Exactly. It's such an important point. That's why I just wanted to mention that because I yeah. think that yeah. was really great that you do that. And it, it sets the tone. Getting back to my mentors, so I, I, you know, I look at mentors in a couple of different ways. One is I look at other traders, and I look at all of them as I can learn from them. I am somebody who's very open to learning from someone who's been trading for a short period of time or someone who's been trading for a long period of time. I think all trader feedback is of value to another trader if they allow themselves to listen. I think that too many people think that they're too good or too smart at this business and they don't listen to what may be working for someone else. And I have learned that what I'm doing today and my strategy may not be doing what I'm doing tomorrow. And if I don't listen to what other people are doing and their successes or in their journeys, I'm not really open to learning and getting better as a trader. So I, I always am, I love listening to what other traders are doing. And I look at that in a way as they are a mentor to me of sorts. Yeah. Meaning just because I like to listen to what they say. I, I, and I hold every trader out there in, in high regard that does this. And I respect them because I know how difficult it is. So I yeah. think that listening to them is extremely important. Remaining open-minded. You know, yeah, you're you very open-minded. 
I am, you know, I, 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 I'm okay. With, uh, I'm okay with not knowing uh, everything, right? I mean, right. I, I look at this and go, well, what do I know, right? I, I only know from my experience, and I've learned so much from other traders, whether they've been trading for six months or 16 years, doesn't matter. I've learned different things. The other way I look at me mentors is I'm at the phase of my life where I'm in my mid 40s, and I look around and I look at the guys who have been successful um, that are in their mid 60s or older. And I looked, I looked at, I look at them and say, what did they do to sustain success? Because mm. one of the most difficult things for me to comprehend uh, was that I had, I had really struggled to get any form of success. Now I think success is going to be different for everybody, but for me making enough money to do this for a living, that was a challenge, right? It took me years. Then I achieved that. Then I learned that I made a little bit of money didn't have as much money as I really thought, right? Because when things weren't really going well, I was struggling to sustain a level of success. And now all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, what do I do now? Now all of a sudden I have to be a smaller trader. I have to have a uh, lesser car. I have to have a smaller house, doesn't, right? I learned that, you know? And then you get back to, okay, I've stabilized again. Now you get to my age and you're, you know, you're still making money, doing things and you look and go, how do I sustain this? 25, 30, 40 years from now. So I look to those guys and I say, what are you doing to sustain success? And the mm. one thing I look at all of them is, is like, as you get older, I think when you get into your forties and it, it took me this long, maybe for some of you be uh, quicker, you finally just start to just slow things down and be able to make better decisions financially. And you're not quick to, to make quick decisions in anything in your life. And you start to look how, to really take advantage of some of the money you've made and, and put it in different places and do things to, to have something where you grow um, and not solely dependent on you pointing and clicking uh, the next day. Because to me, that's so much pressure on us. And I know James, you're a younger trader, Austin, you as well. You guys, you, you don't have, or you, you have the, the, this right now where you look at trading and you say to yourself, this is, this is all I want to do. This is where I'm going to make my money. I get it. And at some point, who knows what happens in your life? And you say, what happens if I can't, can't click that button? Or what do I do to sustain it if I don't, um, if things don't work out for me for periods of times? So what do I do to stay in business? So I start thinking about that. And I look at some of my friends that have owned businesses and done things. And I would say the majority of them, what I've learned from them is that they're able to slow things down. They don't make rash decisions. They don't do... They don't get away from what they've done to make money. And when they make money, they stay very true to what has made them money and keep kind of pressing those winners. And they're very cautious and smart about where they put uh, or do other things in order to be able to grow wealth. Because that to me is where I, I feel like a lot of the mentors I have now, I'm learning a lot from, uh, from that aspect of my life. We need to, for more context about the growing wealth. Do you mean taking specifically profits from trading and investing them in something that holds value or gains value? Yeah. I mean, just what do you do with the money that you make to where you're not just growing your account, you're growing your overall wealth as a, as a person. If you start to make money as a trader, the mistake I made was, well, I'm just going to keep trading more and I keep trading bigger. And I just think that that's just the way to go. And you get to a point where all of a sudden it's, there's no, there's nothing else that's working for a period of time. And you're still trading big and you start giving back chunks of money. Mm -hmm. And then now you can't save the money that you should have been saving um, and potentially have other revenues of income. See, I'm a big believer that trading is, is something that you're going to have times in your life where either it's going to grow out of your interest or maybe you're not trading well. What do you do? to sustain the money you've made? What do you do to grow your income? So I don't think about when I'm trading, my trading account is my trading account, but how do I grow myself into that next level um, of wealth is the way I look at it. Because a lot of traders I've seen make a great deal of money and because things don't work out for them for a period of time, they give it all back. And they don't know, they don't see any other path. Right, right. So it's I like think that's a big mistake. It's like the guy who, it's, it's like Brett Favre coming out of retirement three times, right? Not going out. It's like Tom Brady right now, not just going out on top, coming back yeah. into the game when maybe you should have just stayed out of the game.
right? That's that might be a good analogy for it. it. I look at it like this. It's like you look at Tom Brady. Look how much he's expanded his brand. What he did with his money outside of it, because right. not every trader is going to make millions of dollars, right? Right, tens of millions of dollars, whatever it is your goals are. But along the way, if you're making money, you need to be able to sustain you to stay in that position. And what do you do to be able to do that? Yep. Because I've been taken out of this business so many times to where you're like, how do I sustain success? And you do that by not just trying to trade more and to trade bigger, but when you're doing well, you take your money out and you're smart with your money Yeah. because mm -hmm. it allows you the times where things are not that good to withstand it. And then when it gets good again, you're still there in a position of power. Survive. Like I said, that's really what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, yeah. you've got to find a way to sustain your success in this yeah. business. James, did, Love, you, uh, did you see recently <clears throat> Tiger Woods was a bill, he got on yeah. the billionaire list. Yeah. Only 10% of his earnings come from uh, golf. From golf. Yeah, so I saw that's that. That's the better analogy. I, I, so Anthony, I, I love what you just said now because so my dad is a chartered accountant here with his own business in South Africa. And so is my girlfriend's dad, actually, funny enough, also chartered accountant with, their, with his own business here in South Africa. And they've always told me when I got into trading as a career, and I've been doing this now, this is my second year, full time, third year, if you want to talk about like, yeah, but officially second year, full time. They've always been saying to me, um, you know, I'm making good money for my age, but be putting it into, into places elsewhere for, for you. Um, and, and if you want to give me advice um, and for other young, young traders like my age, what, what would you be looking to get into? What other sources of uh, where's other great places to build wealth outside of trading? I go back to staying real to who you are as a person. So like, I look at it like this, I would say, what are your passions and what are something that you could put your money in, even if it's a small amount uh, and to be able to invest, whether it's in, see, I've, I've invested a little bit in, into some businesses um, I have, you know, just really lived well below my means after you learn after a period of time as well. So you learn also like how to adjust what you're spending, I think is a big part of it. Of course. Uh, what, you, what you really need versus, you know, um, uh, you know, what you want. Actually, <laughs> I think that when you look at, when you look at, uh, what you do for that investment, I think that it's gotta be something that, you passion that also I think will help you with your trading in the sense of you go somewhere else and do something. And for those moments, kind of like what we talked about with awesome with meditation, you know, sure. so I've invested in other things and other projects. Sometimes they're projects. Sometimes they're, they're, there are other things within trading where, you know, I've backed traders in the past, not always a very successful business for me, but um, I've done things like that to kind of, uh, you know, look at things from that perspective and to try and find a way to really just be a businessman. Look, I've done, you know, with the podcasting, I will tell you I've done that. Yep. That all stemmed from me having a heart attack and me being like, am I ever going to be able to trade again? You know, so sure. I started doing podcasting. I was doing media. And, you know, that's one one aspect of, of what I would call my total business and, and what yep. I do. Yep. And I look at it and say, I allow myself to when I am trading, that that is my focus. But if I feel that I shouldn't be trading, I allow myself to stay in business and sustain a level of success without putting so much pressure to try to keep chipping away. If all of a yep. sudden things aren't working, I got to make more money now because I've got more of this or more of that. Right. That's yep. a hard life to live. If all of a sudden you're trading and everything you have to do comes out of that day or that week or that month, man, that's a tall order. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very tall. And order. hits you psychologically as well. Yeah, absolutely. You just can't operate that way. So no, how do you stay in business? So that's why I look to guys and say, what do you, what do you do? They're like, you know, don't get crazy. You know, I, I've pissed away so much money. I don't even want to talk about it, how much I've done that are poor decisions. And then you learn. And I, I think it's going to be very personal to each and every person. For sure. You know? I feel like I've been studying like this idea of wealth building for a long time. And even as I've made more money in the last couple of years, still making decisions that I've backed out of recently, one of the things Riley and I were spending a bunch of money in life insurance, and it could be a great investment. It could have been, but if you look at the return on me putting 24 grand, each of us a year into life insurance versus if I would have just put it into an index fund, I would have made more money. So yeah. just, just another, like you said, as you make more money, you get more experience, but it has to be personal. It's a great way to say, because you could read every book, read, get every lesson from every person. And it's still going to be your personal story. I have a quick question for you. Cause this is, uh, 
a little bit about what we've talked about before. There's a common, and this came up often, Anthony, when I asked on uh, Instagram and Twitter what people wanted to know. Because of your backing and your history, people wanted to know your opinion on stop hunts, smart money concepts, and the, the buzzwords of institutional trading. Can you speak on that a little bit? Well, everyone knows what stops are. Everybody knows what the stops are. I don't know why that, you know, when people say, oh, they're just going after stops. Well, of course they are. Right. When they say they, who's they? Well, it's the traders that are aggressively trading in that direction. Exactly. I try to to push them to stops too. You know how many times I would try and sell a bid or offer to try to move it closer to a stop to run my my order further, especially if I have a winner on that's towards a stop. I mean, of course I would do that. Of course. Right. There's nothing worse than, you know, me buying a big package right at a double top thinking it's going to take it out by a couple of ticks and it runs right against you. Then you puke it and then it takes it out. Of so, course. I mean, I look at that stuff and go, it's out of my control. Right. That's exactly what I say. What does it matter? Right. If you know where the stops are, well, then that's an, if they, if someone says to me, oh, they're on a stop hunt, they're going for the stops. Well, then get it, be a part of it. If you think it's so right. <laughs> I, I mean, what do you want from me? Right. Right. Get some control <laughs> Were you, did you trade through the period in 2008 when people were doing that spoofing thing all the time? Were you a part of that? So spoofing is an interesting thing because, you know, spoofing is, I'm not sure, maybe some people may not even know what it is. It's it's showing that you're going to do a bunch of of orders or a bunch at one price and then you pull it and you go the other way. Right. Mm. I will tell you this from a personal you know, big market maker in the S&P. Yeah, what do you got? A lot of times I'm going to put 500 on the offer. And all of a sudden I look and I don't want them anymore and I want to be long. I'm going to pull the 500 and I'll buy 200 or 100. But what they were doing it was stacking the order book. And I know they're doing it to a great level of it. But I will tell you this, there's every big trader out there. You're going to show a big order of size when you want to go in any direction. And this goes for independent traders too. And if you don't want them anymore, they don't look good. You're going to pull them. Now, right. I know that they were doing it for a bad- Sure, they were pumping in a I direction. understand that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I get why that, but I, I just wanted people to understand that like that originates from big traders always are going to try and show size going into any area. This is why I don't really look at the trading book that much anymore because it's not what's really even there. I mean, how many times you guys bought a stock or did something and you, you're like, you, you look even at an option and you go to put a decent size order in the middle of it and it's filled, you never even saw it. Right. So I never look at that stuff because there's so much liquidity out there in these markets uh, that when somebody's trying to be bigger or, or in that area, it's it's irrelevant to me. Sure. So when I was trading during that 08 time, during the spoofing, I, I'd see a 500 lot up there, I'd buy it from them. And sometimes <laughs> it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. Right, right. And, you know, it's a battle of it. It's yeah. So, I mean, and they've done such a great job at getting cracking that, down on that. Right. Of it. Right. So, but know. look at that. That's a variable in a market condition that presented at a certain time because of whatever those people were doing at that moment. And that made markets different. So you have to to think about that sometimes just to think about like, well, what's going on today that's making markets a little bit, why is this bear market a little bit more unique? You know what I mean? Kind of like what we talked about earlier in the, uh, in the conversation. Why do I think this bear market is different? Yeah. Well, I think it's because you're, you're, you go from QE to QT. Right. So it's and different versus putting the money versus, right. Who's going to make a mark? Let me tell you this. So I could make a big market. Yeah. I want to. No. When people say, oh, look at the markets just getting crushed. There's no liquidity. You make a market in this. Right. <laughs> I don't want to make a big market in the NASDAQ or the S&P sure. right now. Good point. I buy or sell at the time where I want to. And if it goes my way, I might add, but I'm adding with momentum. Sure. I'm not going to just make a market when the market's getting tanked. People sure. are going, oh, it's only there when you need it. Well, that's that you could say that about anything. Anything. Right. Anything. Anything. Because at those times, I'm more likely to make a market. Sure. Sure. Because I can get out. Right. Think about it from the bigger trader perspective. If I can't get out in one second after I am getting in, if I show a big order, then I better not show that big order. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What do you think about crypto? I know you mentioned you were doing spot and futures on ETH. What What do you think about it in general of like, I mean, right now, Bitcoin's at 23,000. People are wondering, is this going lower? Are you like a long-term crypto believer? Do you think, you know, are you deep in that? You got an, got an NFT wallet, Anthony? What's up? No, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I owned, I owned several NFTs. I don't know. Nice, I nice. Good. Luckily I sold them. Good, uh, good, good, good. I owned, about <laughs> a, I owned a bunch of Zed that run horses. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about this, the horse racing thing on the, yeah, I remember this. 
I bought Z1 uh, Nakamoto Genesis is Genesis is right when it kind of not too early in it, but I bought them. You know, at the end, I kind of just burned out of all of them. I didn't I didn't really make a lot of money. I didn't really lose a lot of money. I lost on some made on some. But um, do, what do I think about crypto? Yeah, it's not going anywhere. No, I just think it's easy to say now that it was just way overvalued. But, you know, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I look at it and say it's not going anywhere. Yep. But you've got too many of them, and they're all too tied to Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think that's the biggest issue with crypto. Sure. I is that if Bitcoin and Ethereum go down and everybody goes down with them, yeah. then why not just trade Bitcoin and Ethereum? Because yeah. you're in a sense where you, if you can't separate yourself as a coin from them, what are you? What are you? Right. A yeah. subsidiary of Bitcoin, basically. But now let me ask you this. This goes good. That's a great point, but this goes together with it. With Bitcoin being so tied to the indices right now, you look at NASDAQ and Bitcoin and they are almost spot on sometimes. Is NASDAQ leading Bitcoin or is Bitcoin lead? It's got to be NASDAQ leading Bitcoin, right? I'm so glad you asked me this because this is a big pet peeve of mine. It is, it's, it, it, just because a chart correlates with another chart. Doesn't mean they're related? Doesn't mean they're related. Really? So you And, and I want to tell you this. And I know that the, the people will say, Anthony, he's a dumbass. <laughs> if they correlated... If you show me a chart and it's correlated, I can show you so many charts. Yeah. If I overlay them, yeah. I can tell you that. Great point. Anything is correlated with anything. And that doesn't mean that they're correlated. Sure. As a trader, I look at it like this. Okay. The reason why they're moving together, the reason why gold can't rally, the reason why oil is down today is because when you own something that's losing value, you sell something else to cover that loss. Hmm. Period. If I own NASDAQ and I'm losing my ass in my 401k or my trading and I own Bitcoin, I have a weak hand in Bitcoin because either I take a beating in both or I cover the other one hmm. and I maybe hold this one or I raise capital to wait to see what happens. So you have risk asset correlation because think about it from this way. I own a bunch of stuff. I have gold. I have, I, I don't have Bitcoin and Ethereum right now, but I own a bunch of different things. When all of a sudden the market is all going down, I look around and go, what do I want to get rid of? What do I need to do to raise money? Because at some point I can't buy back in unless I cover something. And if everything's getting cheaper, I have to cover the one that has the most risk. And that's Bitcoin. Sure. No, so that's, that's all it is. I don't think that there's any sort of change in the Bitcoin environment. If anything, I think it's gotten better. Right. I think it's used more and I am a believer in it, but you can't own a ton of Bitcoin if you're getting killed in the market. It's just, mm. it's hard to do it. That's why it goes down. So it's not that they're necessarily correlated because the NASDAQ tech stocks are going down. That's weighing on Bitcoin. It's a matter of what do I have as a trader what do I look at my portfolio and say, oh, you know how many friends I have that own stocks that are going, I bought this Bitcoin and Ethereum. I'm losing my ass in it now. Let me, what done. am I going to do with it? They're, they're dumping. Done. They're dumping. They're yeah. dumping. It's a great so point. They're not selling it because it no longer has the same reason to own it. Sure. They just had a weak hand in owning it from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, you, you went through, you know, you've seen bull and bear, but to go from 70K to 23K, people bought it 70K. People bought it 60K and now it's 23. Sure. You, a lot of people are going to have weak hands at 23 when we were at 60 about a year and a half, two years ago, not even, right? I mean, I just look at Bitcoin and say, you know, this is why I also believe I don't like the correlation aspect of it because you have to look at Bitcoin and say, why do I own Bitcoin? Totally and different reason why you own are buying, People are buying Bitcoin, a lot of these people, because there's price speculation only. Right. That is what drove the price. No one can tell me that it's because there's only 21 million and there's not going to be enough Bitcoin for everybody. So we have to buy it before it's at a hundred thousand. <laughs> nobody, nobody of the majority of people thought that way. Right. They bought Bitcoin because they thought they'd make money in it. Money. That's yeah. the only reason. That is it. Don't lie to me and tell me you bought it because you want to be part of the supply and you want <laughs> to have Bitcoin in case we go into uh, you know uh, some sort of world war situation where you're right. swapping Bitcoin with people. Right, 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 right. Literally, that's so, what some people. Right, that's yeah. all they did. 
Yeah, so all those pre price speculators are going to get bleeded out. I'm yeah. one of them. I've done it. I didn't buy Bitcoin because I knew I was going to use it. ETH, I did. I still have some ETH because I use okay. ETH. Okay. But Different ETH thing. has a lot more use in the digital world almost than Bitcoin from our, an outsider's perspective. We're using it for NFTs. We're using it for smart contracts. Like it is a lot different uh, utility. I want to change gears before, as we wrap up here, Anthony, because I know we got a hard stop. The, 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 this topic right now is super hot in our world of people getting larger capital, getting funded. James is a guy okay. who's been funded for a long time. You mentioned that you've backed traders before, funding yeah. them, giving them more capital. If you were yeah. a younger guy, and I am 27, just so you know, you mentioned earlier, you didn't know. I know okay. the beard makes me look a little older, but I'm 27. <laughs> so if you were a younger guy like us, and not that we're too far in age, I'm almost 30, like shit, but would <laughs> you look to start your own fund if you have a track record of three or five years of good performance as a day trader, would you go around? Cause you know, I mean, like you've seen my following people like family, friends, strangers. Hey, can I give you a hundred grand? Can I give you 10? And I always say, no, I've never taken money from people because I've always been able to either raise my own or now with these funding companies get capital that way. So would you go and try to use these other like prop firm style funding companies, or would you go and start your own fund, raising your own money and writing your own rules? Oh, well, I mean, I would never take family money never to trade never especially to start me neither i've always been afraid that of that be, i would say just no friend or family money to trade is like no way yeah what i like about the fun there's two i think that the funding side of things is interesting because number one i think it depends on how you get funded i find that i i hear back from a lot of people to say that some of these funding um situations are just they're too difficult and they're, they're charging you x amounts of money per month yeah. i don't know what the numbers are yeah um and they're just they i never get funded or if i get funded then all of a sudden i hear some stories recently that like you know they're not getting their full pay or blah 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 right and they're businesses sure and i could tell you from back and traders if they don't charge that money and i didn't charge the traders i back said i have a business but it's a losing business most of the time. So they make money by getting the monthlies. And I think everybody can understand that. So they're going to make it extremely difficult. But what it teaches you, and I think personally, with the funding side of things, it's a small expense of education to see how you're looked at through those, through those funding people's eyes. I think it's a great way to be because your risk is only, your, your risk is fixed. I don't believe that a new trader I don't care what they say. There is no fixed amount of risk. They will risk it all because once it starts getting bad, yep, they're gonna, going they're all gonna, in. Yep, they're going all in. They're going all in. Full. Point. They will be great risk managers at the beginning, and once it doesn't work out, they will be the worst risk managers you've ever seen. As the losses increase, the probability of that increases tenfold. Right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. why not go with them and build some structure? Yeah. Then I think if it doesn't work out for you, I've gotten a lot of messages about this on Twitter open up a micro account, trade the really small products, get a job until you can do it. I delivered pizzas. I worked for UPS. I worked on the trading floor. Where's your commitment level? If you think that you're going to just turn on the machine and be able to make money, that's just not reality. Yeah. So exist long enough. It goes back to why I said my mentors are sustaining success. Yep. What can I do to stay in this business? It's what I do when I'm not in this business always, because I have to be able to walk away at a time when I'm in a position of strength. Yeah. If you can't do that, you will never make money in trading. Yeah. If you walk away, if you can't walk away because you're in a position of weakness, you need to make rent, you need to make food, you're toast. Toast. Yep. So I look at it like this, you know, the funding question to me is like, why wouldn't you do it? Right. Do what you have to do to exist. Yep. Because that will teach you structure and true discipline, not just discipline to a strategy, discipline in life. But I what a time, you're spot on, great answer. And what a time to be a trader, right? I mean, from someone like you, even for myself, when I got into trading, the main prop, one of the main prop firms was the one. It was just one. And everyone that I talked to was like, no way it's legit. No way it's legit. Now, six years, seven years later, they're still here. They're still number one and other ones have popped up. And I think if you look at that, even in just my progression, and then of course I think about yours, it's never been easier now, in my opinion, just a different perspective to get that capital, to get that funding. Now, yeah, is some of the targets are like 8% to 10% in 30 days. You do need to change up your risk approach, your risk strategy to do that. But if people have done it, does that make it impossible? No. So I think that that's, it, there's a perspective that, you know, losers take sometimes not to call those people losers that say negative things about companies They could be receiving a negative experience. But from my perspective, 
the people that are first to talk shit, they're normally the ones that either broke a rule and want to try to get out of it. You know what I mean? They didn't follow the structure properly. And James is, I mean, coming off his biggest, right? James, this has been your biggest month of payouts ever. Yeah. 15 K something like that. So it's been a really good month for James. So I think there's both sides of it, but I was just curious your perspective on that. But listen, Anthony, this has been amazing. I think we've covered so many different perspectives. We've talked about overcoming failures, overcoming losses, bouncing back from setbacks. We talked about your mentors. We talked about crypto, fun, everything. I can't thank you enough, man. And I think people hopefully will listen all the way through. Drop a comment if you did. If you'd like us, you know, to bring Anthony back for a part two, if you have some specific questions you want more context on, put those in the comments. We'd be more than happy to convince Anthony if we have to, to bring him back on. And you know, Anthony, listen, we're, we're going to hold you to this. Since you did this for us, we're going to take you out and go golfing once we get James over from yeah. South Africa. We're coming down. Oh, nice. We just need a fourth yeah. guy. And then we got our, we got our Sunday. All right. We got a full ball. So listen, everybody, anthonycrudelli.com at Anthony Crudelli on Instagram and on Twitter. I know Twitter is like his main thing, right, Anthony? Like you're you're the you're the guy on Twitter now. You've been doing yeah, great like with the Twitter. reels. You've been doing great with the videos. I love it. Yeah, guys, all I can say is thank you so much. Big fans of what you guys do. And anybody out there, my DMs are open. Hit me up anytime. Uh, and like I said, I wish wish you guys all the best in your trading careers, man. Thanks, Anthony. James, Thanks, thank Anthony. you as always, brother. And we'll see everybody in the next episode. Thank you.